Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. Are you often stressing about money? Today, we cover common questions and concerns you can think about that may help you reduce your money stress. For example, what is a good money mindset? And how alignment between your goals and portfolio may help you sleep better? And even how or where to get started? Every situation is different, and these are general tips, but if you have questions about your specific situation, please reach out either by phone or email. My name is Garrett Smith, and we look forward to having you with us today. Well, here we go again. Time for another one. This is a good one. Stress about money. Yeah, it's definitely some good habits to have on the other side. I don't know about building them as any fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Money and stress always seem to be tied together, whether it's true or not. But it does seem like money can enhance or increase stress in our life. Yeah, I think there's some statistics on divorce that the two main reasons are money problems and infidelity. So it's there and it can cause some issues for sure. Well, and we've seen that with all regular client conversations is there are times when money is the stressor. Right. And it's presented that money is the stressor, but it's usually something going on in the background and money is just being the amplifier of what it's actually bringing on, whether it's poor habits or poor communication or whatever it is. But money seems to be the avenue, which a lot of those get kind of presented. Yeah. So as we think about this subject and navigate how to avoid money stress, I think the first conclusion we came to is you just really have to have the right mindset about money. How do you think about money? And when you really think about it, money's just really a tool. It's an exchange of value. It makes life convenient because you can exchange funds for things that you need or things that you want. And so sometimes we get maybe too attached to it. Maybe it has too much of a status type of situation. But when you really think about it, it's just a tool to help us kind of navigate the modern day life. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes along with that of it being a tool is that regardless of your net worth or income level, there's always problems. It's not like money makes problems go away. Right. You know, just because you bought the hammer and the saw and have it in your garage doesn't necessarily mean the construction projects never show up. Right. <laughs> Usually they show up because you have those things. Right. And I think it's pretty similar with money. Research shows that regardless if you make a dollar or a million dollars, stress is always there. Life happens to everybody. Now granted, money can solve money problems. Right. And so it does help to have it, particularly saved up. But like you said, it's a tool. If you've got kind of a garage full of tools, usually you can handle a few more problems and solve the problems with those tools versus not having it. So I think we'd all agree that having money is better than not having money, but problems arise whether you have it or not. Yeah. And I think all of us know people who are less fortunate that are happy. And we all know people who are less fortunate that are not happy. We also know people who are well-to-do that are happy and people who are well-to-do that are completely miserable. And so you have to kind of put money in the context of what it is and not let it determine whether we're having a good life or not. Yeah. And I always kind of look at money's really an amplifier. It kind of just amplifies whatever habits and mindset Mm -hmm. you have going on in your life. If it's never enough, money's never going to be enough. Right. If that's the mindset, money's just going to amplify that mindset of it's never enough, regardless what you have. And it's the same thing on the other side. If 
If you can figure out that life's pretty good, got some good habits, good relationships, then money will kind of amplify those same things as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it can just add to and enhance those types of life. So I think along with it being a tool is it's just an amplifier of kind of whatever is going along in who you are. Right. I think the other part of mindset, too, is that I really think it helps to have what I call a saver's mindset. And basically, to me, that just means I have a certain amount of resources. I'm never living up to the amount of those resources and certainly not beyond those resources, because that's when you can really get yourself upside down and cause unnecessary stress is when we don't have any capacity to save or we're just right up to the limit all the time. Yeah. And that shows up everywhere. I think money is similar to just your daily living habits. You don't sleep for today. You sleep so you're ready and rested for tomorrow, right? right. Sleep is preparing you for the next day. Eating is preparing you for the next day. You know, you could make it through today without eating. Right. You can make it through today without sleeping. And I think the same thing of the habits of money of, yes, you can make it through today if you spend everything today, but you're not ready for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things we do in all parts of our life to just be ready for tomorrow. And that's not spending all the dollars today of just not taking and right up to the limit of everything that you can do and use today of just setting some money aside for tomorrow and for the next day. And that compounds over time that eventually you've set it aside so you can have a 10, 20 or 30 year retirement. Those just build up on itself. Yeah. And so the question is when you're in the consumption phase, so you're in retirement, you saved money, you're doing fine. What does that mean? Because obviously you're drawing your savings and your portfolio down. And to me, that just means that you need to make sure that your distribution phase can extend well beyond your life expectancy. Mm -hmm. If you plan on living to age 90, but your trajectory of spending has you kind of getting pretty tight at 83 or 84, same problem. But if you plan on living to age 90, but your portfolio looks like it's going to sustain you through age 100, again, that's just extra financial capacity to give you some peace of mind. So that's kind of the difference between those of us who are still working versus those of you who are kind of in the distribution phase of your spending. Yeah, those habits carry over through all phases of not living right to the limit of what you can take. Yeah. Yeah, I think mindset is really important. And I think kind of along with that mindset of not tying your self-worth to your net worth. I think it's easy to kind of look at the numbers on the screen and say, hey, this is who I am. I'm a millionaire. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. But we don't really do that anywhere else in life. It's not like you say like, oh, I'm a three bedroom, two bath guy. That, that's who I am. <laughs> you know, I'm a, oh, I, I'm a four car garage guy. You know, <laughs> it's just I, like I'm a, or I'm a hundred thousand Ford truck guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, you can be a Ford guy without being a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> Ford truck guy. <laughs> right. I think it's more important to identify as a saver than it is whatever the number is on right. the screen, because that's the habit that works out versus what the dollar actually says. Regardless of what the dollar is, if you have that saver's mindset, you can navigate challenges in the market and challenges in your life because you already have built the habits of basically living on less than you earn or less than you have. And that goes a long way. So it's just 
we'll talk about other portfolio strategies, but I think on that mindset side of just not tying who you are to what the portfolio number says, because the market can take it away overnight. Sure. We've all seen what it does, you know, COVID 08, 09, 2000 to 2002. The market pulls back. It's going to happen, particularly if you're in equities. That's just what it does. Or even bonds right now over the last two right. years. In a real sense, some of them are down almost 50%, which is unbelievable because you think bonds are safe. So the number on the screen isn't who you are. You are your habits more than the number. So one of the first tools we want to talk about, of course, is just having an emergency fund. So an emergency fund is just money set aside. You're probably not going to earn a lot of interest on it but it's safe and it's liquid and available just in case life happens and you need somewhere to draw on some funds that are kind of for an unexpected event, layoff, an insurance claim, just things that you can't really plan for. Yeah. And I think we all remember when we were broke and getting started, building that emergency fund just felt impossible. Oh, it's painful. (laughs) It's just, there's really no easy way to do it. And the reason why we always encourage starting with an emergency fund is because it builds that saver's mindset. Right. So it's the habit that drives the mindset of, I need to start setting some things aside for just in case, you know, the rainy day is going to happen. Everybody has emergencies. It's just life. And so filling that emergency fund as one of your first actions builds that saver's mindset and habit. It forces you to overcome all the excuses of not doing it. Yeah, I remember when my emergency fund finally got up to $1,000, and I just thought, man, that seemed like it took forever, but it just felt so good to just have, I mean, this has been 40 years ago, so it was 1000 was more then than it is now, but still, <laughs> still a lot of you know, money. Still was, I think I remember putting in like 25 bucks a month. It took a long time to do. Yeah. And that's kind of what you have to do. You just have to build in that savings capacity. And then at the end of the day, you do that and you've had the discipline to save, number one. And number two, you've got a bucket of money there that you can tap into if you need it. So general rules on emergency fund, if you're a two earner family, two people working, typically it's three months of just bare bones living expenses, house payment, food, utilities, period. If you're a one earner family, you should have six months because it might take a little bit more time for somebody to be reemployed if there's something that goes on there. So three months or six months, and you literally just have to chip away at it. So, And if you don't know where to start, it was easiest for me to just set aside a dollar or two a day, pick a number. Mm-hmm. Every day, I'm going to move $2 from this bank account to this new bank account. Or if I have it in my car, that's what's going in. And you just do that day after day after day. And then... As you get pay increases, instead of increasing your lifestyle, you go on and you just use that income as 100% of the emergency fund until it gets to where you want it to be. And I also think don't beat yourself up if the emergency fund's only a few hundred dollars. Anything feels good. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't have one now, you get two or three or $500. Trust me, it just feels better. Yeah. And there are cases to use it while you're building it up, but that habit of refilling it all the time is what's going to bail you out over the long run of just building that habit of this is the first place I save. Now, generally, if you've got good cash flow, getting the company match from your 401k plan is probably the first place. Sure. That's just kind of free money. money. Yeah. But the emergency funds right up there. They're yeah. kind of one and one A and you can kind of argue about which way's the best one to go. But then when you think about two or three dollars a day, it's don't stop and get the Diet Coke. Don't get the candy bar. I mean, everybody that has a job can figure out a way to save a couple bucks a day and just start there and then just increase it over time. And pretty soon it's like, oh, I have my emergency fund. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And just don't be too hard on yourself. If that's where you're at in kind of your financial journey is it's easy to be hard on yourself because you always feel like you're behind. Yeah. And just to give you a heads up, if that's where you're at, you always feel behind. <laughs> yeah. Once you get the emergency fund, then it's the retirement savings, then it's the kid's college, or then it's the new car, or then it's, if you're feeling behind now, that feeling doesn't really go away and you've just kind of got to learn to mm-hmm. navigate around it, I guess. That's kind of the mindset idea. Yeah. And then the next thing that'll happen is you get your emergency fund, you feel pretty good about it, and then just go ahead and double it. I mean, you're in the habit, just double it. That's a really big shift when you double your emergency fund and you know you've got a year's worth of money stack that you can draw on if you need to. Yeah. It just builds that reservoir, just builds buffer into your system. There's surprises. You've got flexibility because it's when you're not flexible, when it comes to money is when bad decisions happen. Right. You got to make a quick decision. You have to sell something at a discount, whatever it is. That's when the bad decisions happen is when you're kind of forced into a situation. Yeah. When you have financial capacity, it reduces stress for sure. After the emergency fund, also reducing stress is just making sure you have the right strategies in your portfolio. And those strategies line up with your long-term goal. And I think that's the first place you've got to start. We always want to talk about, well, should I have an IRA or a Roth IRA, or should I invest in Apple or Google or whatever Mm -hmm. it is? And you kind of can't really answer those questions until you really know, well, where do I want to go? Where are we even pointing the ship? And so I think having at least a general idea, the more detailed, the better of a long-term plan can greatly help. For me, that's one area that really helps reduce stress. Yeah. And part of that portfolio construction process, it's probably going to evolve over time because sometimes you have a lot of people come in and they'll say, I'm fine with the market. I'm fine with the volatility. And then it's easy to handle market volatility when you got $1,000 or $10,000. When you have a million dollars, it's different because that same normal 20% pullback instead of being a couple of grand is 200 grand. And so it introduces an an additional level of stress. And so portfolio construction is going to evolve over time. And you need to adjust that based on how you feel when the market doesn't behave like we want it to behave. It happens every year, you know, it seems like every year there's at least a 10% pullback. And the conversations we have at those times help us recalibrate what we're doing for people in their portfolio. Right. And lining up the investments in the portfolio with that long-term plan, there's an element of every dollar in your portfolio should be tied to a job to be done. Am I trying to solve a job today? You treat that money differently than a job I'm trying to solve in 30 years. Right. And so your portfolio should reflect that long-term plan. And so then you can separate the day-to-day volatility from the 30-year volatility, right? Right. Over time, historically, stocks have gone up. And that long-term vision gives you that ability to outpace inflation and solve those 10 and 20 and 30-year goals. Whereas if all your money's in that long-term bucket, but you're trying to solve short-term problems... It's going to introduce stress. Yeah. Yeah. I need a car in six months. Well, we need to be investing in something different than... Right long-term equities. Well, and you can be too conservative when we're trying to solve that long-term problem. I mean, that's making sure the portfolio lasts to age 100. If we're too conservative too early, the math just doesn't work. And so it's that balance. How old are you and what is your volatility expectations? And then hopefully we can kind of structure the portfolio so that you can satisfy the need for low volatility as well as the need for 
income till you're 100 years old too. Yeah. And I think understanding those trade-offs up front makes that easier too. Hey, I don't want to take as much risk as I've seen the portfolio do in the past. Mm -hmm. And so usually the trade-off there is, okay, you got to work a little bit longer before retirement Mm -hmm. or you got to save a little bit more each year. Those are the general trade-offs that kind of lead to that. And if you say, that's worth it Mm -hmm. to me because now I don't have to have as much risk in the portfolio. And risk in this context, I guess we're talking more about volatility Mm -hmm. in the sense of how much the account moves around in value. And so that's just how that long-term plan allows you to just look through and understand what those different trade-offs are. And then you can build the right portfolio for the right situation. I think a good illustration of that is really a portfolio construction is like taking a long flight. So say we're going to fly to Hawaii from Utah. And they don't just take the plane up and point it towards Hawaii and then just push go. There's just constant adjustments, little adjustments, half a degree here, half a degree there, just course corrections all along the way. And when the pilot does that, then he lands in Oahu safely. And and portfolio construction is the same way. It's just, you just have to like kind of know what your destination is. You got to make your best judgment to start with, and then you just adjust it as time goes on, and hopefully you can land safely at your destination. So, Right. And on that plane analogy as well, the pilot's not just showing up and saying, hey, just give me a half a gallon more than I need to get there. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you do want some flexibility in your retirement. Well, if I'm on that plane, I want to be able to go to Japan, <laughs> not Hawaii. <laughs> and so you can build a retirement plan that accommodates whatever level you're comfortable with. Right. Right. And so where are we trying to go? What's my feeling in the day-to-day of how I can handle my portfolio moving around in value? And that can lead to the appropriate investment decisions that work for your situation. And I think all too often we come at it the wrong way. Hey, I saw on TV that this company is going to go up over the next month because they've got some great new product. And so I want to own this in the portfolio. Well, it may or may not help you in the long run from a stress standpoint. Mm -hmm. If it works out, great. You feel like a genius. But if it doesn't work out, then you're just introducing some stress that maybe didn't need to be in there. Right. Yeah. I think the last thing to maybe touch on is just We've kind of alluded to it. Have a long-term plan and then watch the trend of the plan. Yeah. If we have a long-term plan, so again, an analogy, we're going to drive from Logan, Utah to Salt Lake. And if you want to know how far the distance to Salt Lake is, you push reset on the odometer and you drive Salt Lake and you look at it, oh, it's 85 miles or whatever. And we don't get out a, a yardstick and start (laughs) you know, measuring a yard at a time, you got to use the right measurement tool. And sometimes what happens is we have a long-term plan and it's a 20-year, 30-year, 40-year plan, 50-year plan. And we're letting these weekly or monthly swings in the market kind of force us to make investment decisions. And that's just really want to get away from that. Sure, watch the trend. But if your plan's on track and there's a reasonable amount of volatility, then stick with the plan. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. And that's why we like the different financial planning software that we use is it kind of helps us take a 30,000 foot view instead of a yardstick view. Mm -hmm. And as you do that over time, for us, what we've seen our clients that helps reduce the stress of, because there's always going to be bad news. Go pull up any headline of any day and it's always bad news. Mm -hmm. Bad news sells. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really the, the first thing on the page of the newspaper on TV or on the internet is... Fantastic news. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's pretty rare. Yeah. 
And so there's always going to be bad news today and forever. That's just how the industry works. So having that long-term view and your money lined up with each one of those goals, my goal for my money tomorrow and six months from now and a year from now and five years from now and 10 years from now and 30 years from now, just allows you to look at that long-term trend instead of being stressed and focused on the micro, the day-to-day of what's going on today. And you do that over time. And our goal for all our clients and ourselves personally is just to be able to sleep at night. If you're losing sleep, you're probably missing. Yeah. So summary, have a saver's mindset and watch the trend and then just don't worry about stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which is tough to do. Yeah. Well, if you have any questions, we're always happy to talk, but thanks for the time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at ascendinvestment.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman, and Ride, LLC, DBA, Ascend Investment Partners, is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.